When I was about eight years old, my family was living in Lexington, Kentucky. My dad was working for the church, and uh, a new family moved in next door to us into a house that was provided by the church because that family was, uh, was my dad's new boss there at the church. And so they moved in next to us there on a piece of land that was dedicated for ministry as a part of the, the jobs that they had there in Lexington, Kentucky. And in that household was not just the man and the wife that would serve as my mom and dad's boss, but also the father-in-law of, of the husband there. And my brother and I, my younger brother and I, came to call him Papaw. Papaw was an older gentleman, and he was a little bit hard of hearing. He was a lot hard of hearing, but he was a good man who loved to mow the grass. He loved to ride a riding lawnmower and mow all of the grass on those grounds that were there. But the other thing about Papaw is that he loved pro wrestling. Not just a little bit, like a lot. And I'm not talking about like your Olympic wrestling. I'm not talking about, you know, two guys in really tight-fitting, inappropriate outfits that hug one another and then eventually get points for that. I don't understand all of that. I'm talking about pro WWF, WWE, at that point WCW wrestling. I'm talking about some of the guys that you may see on the screen here. I'm talking about Ric Flair and Sting and Roddy Roddy Piper and Lex Luger. I'm talking about Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I'm talking about Andre the Giant. I am talking about the kind of guys who had incredible athleticism, incredible showmanship, who would come together in a ring and make you believe that they were actually going, you know, fist to fist, you know, kicks to kicks. I mean, to, to really, I mean, they were hating one another. And really, if you kind of went behind the scenes, you would see that they were really good buddies. I'm talking about face makeup. I'm talking about other tight-fitting, inappropriate outfits. I'm talking about steel-infused shoulder pads. I'm talking about my childhood. Pro wrestling. Well, here's what Papa loved about pro wrestling. is It came on two nights a week then. Usually came on on Monday night and Thursday night. And we lived next door. And so what my brother and I would do, with my parents' permission is we would go over and we would watch wrestling with Papa on his television in the room that he stayed. And it, it, what, like I said, he was a little bit hard of hearing, and so he would turn wrestling on on the television and turn it way, way, way too loud for tender young ears like ours, but we loved it so that he could hear what they were saying. And he would sit kind of across the room in a chair and he would watch that television and he would listen to what they were saying. And my brother and I, we would sit there and we would look at these guys and we would see all the moves that they were doing. And eventually we would go home and try to recreate those moves. And I mean, it was awesome. But other than just Monday and Thursday night, something really cool happened that really kind of shaped some experiences of my childhood. There was some stuff, and it still happens for boxing and other things. I think wrestling does it every now and then still. I'm, I've kind of gotten a little disconnected from the pro wrestling scene once I got married, and my wife told me she would leave me if I kept watching it, but totally kidding. I gave it up way before that. But something cool would happen. It was called pay-per-view wrestling events. It was like WrestleMania. It was like these, these amazing things that would cost way more money than us young boys had, but Papa had money. 
And Papaw would spend 30 or 40 or 50 or $70 to watch like a three-hour pay-per-view wrestling event. And we would go over to his house. They would invite us over and they would feed us. And we would sit in that room and he's sitting in his chair watching television. And we're watching pay-per-view wrestling. And we're watching these guys and they're jumping off these steel fences. And they're jumping off the turnstiles. And they're kicking each other in the air and flipping and doing all kinds of amazing things that we would later get in trouble trying to recreate in our bedroom. And it was amazing. Amazing. But why do I tell you this? Because my childhood was kind of shaped, at least during that season of time, by wrestling. I loved it. I watched it. And then I came to learn, and I don't know if you know this, so I'm about to break somebody's heart. Wrestling that I was watching, I was told was fake. I just disappointed some of you. Some of you just had a spiritual experience of disappointment there. But I was told, it's not even real. Like, what I'm watching is fake. And so then I started to doubt the experience. How, how could it be fake? It looks so real. But when I read a story in Scripture, I read about a guy named Jacob. And every time I read this story, I think about my childhood watching pay-per-view wrestling. And, and, and I think about this guy because he also engaged in a wrestling match. It is by far for me, maybe not for you, but it is by far for me one of the most confusing stories in the Bible. Now, not every part of it's confusing. His entire story, which takes up a huge chunk of the book of Genesis, is an amazing story. It's fascinating. But this part of his life, this part of the story where he wrestles before going to meet with his brother, has always, always fascinated me because I just think it's very confusing. But at the end of that wrestling match, here's what happens. I want us to read it in Genesis 32. This is what it says in verse 27 and 28. The man asked him, what is your name? He's talking to Jacob. The man that is asking is the man that Jacob's been wrestling with, and we'll learn he's wrestled with him all night long. But the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome. Now, we are in week two of a series that we started last week, fittingly enough, called Changed. And for these four weeks, we are looking at four people in the Bible and their stories where God changes their name. We talked about the importance of names last week. If you missed, I encourage you to go back, listen to the podcast on iTunes or on our website and just catch up with what we've been talking about. But we talked about the importance of names and really us becoming who God says we are. And this story here, at the end of the wrestling match, Jacob's name is changed from Jacob to Israel. Now, the name Jacob means one of two things. It's really connected to his life story earlier. It really means deceiver, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But it can also, there's a little nuance in the original language here. It can actually mean heel grabber, like the heel of your foot. And here's why it can, that nuance can kind of, kind of play out there. In Genesis 25, when we are introduced to Jacob, this is what it says. This is about his birth. And when the time came to give birth, Rebekah, who is his mother discovered that she indeed had twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. You're welcome for that image. So they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's hill, so they named him Jacob. So here's the picture. Two twin, a set of twins are born. 
Esau is the first. He's red, covered in a thick fur coat of hair. And as he is born, clutching his heel is the second of the twins, Jacob. And he comes out. It's almost like, and we'll see this played out in his story, it's almost like Jacob was trying to get out first. It's almost like Jacob was trying to be the firstborn. Now, if you understand anything about that culture, you know that being the firstborn was a big deal. That being the firstborn of that culture was a bigger deal than it even is today. And as a firstborn, I would say it's pretty stinking awesome. So in that culture, what it entitled you to was it entitled you to the blessings of your father, the birthright of your father. You were really the only one that mattered in the will of your father or in the estate. Because what would happen is if you were the firstborn, especially the firstborn son, you would receive not an equal distributed share of your father's inheritance. You would receive two-thirds of that inheritance, and all of your other siblings would get the remaining one-third split among them. You would become, with the passing of your father, even in his life, you would have stature in the house, but with the passing of your father, you would become the head of the household, and all the members of the family would really submit to your authority as the new patriarch of the family. So being the firstborn was a big deal, and it's almost like even from birth, even in the womb, Jacob was like, I got to get out first. And so Esau starts making his way into the world, and so Jacob grabs a hold of his heel, and he comes out second, but very closely behind, and we see this pattern demonstrated in the life of Jacob over and over and over. Because later, after these two boys have grown up a little bit, Esau, who was an incredible hunter, goes out one day, and he hunts, and he comes back. And he's very, very, very hungry, which is a great thing because his brother Jacob, this heel grabber, this deceiver, is a good cook. And the good cook Jacob is in the tent making some food, and Esau comes in and says, hey, give me some food. I'm about to die. I'm so hungry. And Jacob does what any younger brother does, and I have a younger brother, so this is what they do because they're evil. He says to him, yeah, older brother, I'll give you something to eat, but I want something in return. And so if I give you something to eat, you have to give me your birthright. I, Jacob, deceiver, want to make sure that I get a better deal on this transaction than you do. So I'll give you a bowl of soup if you give me your birthright. I'll give you a bowl of soup if you give me two-thirds of our father's inheritance. The being the patriarch of the family where everybody in the family has to submit to my authority. The blessings of God that come from being the firstborn. I will give you a bowl of soup if you give me all that. And Esau makes one of the worst trades in the history of the world by saying, okay, fine, I'm so hungry. I can't feed myself evidently or go to anybody else in the camp and get other food. So I will trade you my birthright for a bowl of soup. And Jacob, in that deal, wins because he has deceived. Later, when his father is very old and he's about to die, Jacob goes in with the help of his mother because, remember, Esau was really hairy. He had like a fur coat of hair almost, and he's an outdoorsman, a hunter. And so his mother helps him, and they take fur and, and the animal skin, and they put it on his arms, and they put it on his hands, and he takes some, some other dead animal skin, and they kind of put, rub it all over him so he smells like the outdoors and like he's been hunting. And he goes in to prepare a meal for his father because his father had asked him to do so, and his father thinks it's Esau, the oldest son, so that the father could bless that oldest son. But Jacob has deceived again and sneaks in and acts like he's Esau to steal the blessing. And the father 
You can hear it in his voice. You can hear it in his questions. Are you, you sure that you're Esau? And he touches his hands. He says, it, it feels like Esau. And he, and he smells me. He says, it, it smells like Esau, but the voice is the voice of Jacob. There's something about you. That father recognizes it. Maybe this is a little off, but his, his sight is going away and he can't see. And so he says, okay, I guess you're Esau. And he blesses him beyond just the birthright. Now he gives him his parting blessing. If you read these Old Testament narratives, you read about the fathers that are dying and they bless their children as they're leaving this life. And they say to them, listen, I am praying everything good that happened to me that God would multiply it on you. But there's a special blessing for those firstborns. And so the father gives the firstborn blessing to the younger son, Jacob, the deceiver, the heel grabber, who was looking to get a good deal that wasn't rightfully his. Later, Jacob flees because Esau finds out what's happened, and he goes, again with the help of his mother, he goes to a distant country to find some relatives that he can live among, and when he gets there, he sees a woman who is beautiful. He says, I love her. I must have her as my wife. And he tries to create a deal with her father to work for her hand in marriage. He actually gets deceived himself. And the dad pulls a little switcheroo. And instead of giving him the daughter that he loved, who actually happened to be the younger daughter, the dad follows the custom and gives him the older daughter and it's too late for him to realize what's happened. And so he has to go back to the dad and say, okay, I'll work for you seven more years to get the younger daughter. Jacob was burned by a deception like he had deceived many times before. These stories are fascinating. I encourage you to read them. It's about 13 chapters in the book of Genesis just to read some of these amazing narratives that are there. And then one day, Jacob decides it's time to leave his father-in-law's estate. He has both of these women that he loves, which wasn't uncommon in the days of this passage. And he's been blessed by God. He has great wealth. He has accumulated great things. And he decides it's time for him to leave. And he even deceives his father-in-law on the way out the door. And the things that he's going to take with them that he thinks are rightfully his. And so the way that he does that, another fascinating story. He leaves his father-in-law's house and his estate in the middle of the night, taking with him that man's daughters and his grandchildren and some of the possessions that probably belong to the father-in-law. And he gets about two days away when his father-in-law overtakes him. And they have a confrontation. And they agree together just to kind of let bygones be bygones. And hey, take care of my children. Take care of my daughters and my grandchildren and these possessions and go on your way. And eventually on the other end of Jacob's travel is his brother, Esau. He gets to the other side of this journey that he's on where he has been a deceiver. He's been deceptive. He's been a heel grabber. He's stolen a birthright. He's stolen a blessing. He, he, he's been manipulated himself, but eventually he got what he wanted from th this man who gave him two uh, wives and gave him grandchildren and great possessions. And he continues on this journey, but out in front of him is his past. Esau, the one that he deceived. And he's headed in that direction, and he gets word that Esau is coming out to meet him. Which doesn't seem like a bad thing. I love when I get to see my brother, except when I owe him money. And that's really the story here. 
the blessings of God, the traveling party that Jacob has with him are really the result of the blessings of God, the favor of God that he knows came to him as a result of his deception. Almost everything that he possesses, he believes, is rightfully Esau's. And if you've ever been done wrong and you know how you wanted to respond, even if you didn't respond that way, then you know the internal struggle that Jacob was facing as he headed towards his past. Esau's out in front, and he's afraid of how Esau will respond. Because Jacob knows in his heart that if Esau had done these things to him, and Esau was now on the way to meet him, Jacob, Jacob knows how he would want to respond. He would be angry. He would want to eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. He would want to take all of the possessions. He might even kill you know, his brother because of what had been done. And so he's afraid. And so what he does is he takes everyone who's traveling with him. He takes all of his possessions. He takes all of the family members. He takes his wives and their children, everything that he has, and he splits them up. And he has them cross over the river and head towards Esau. And here's the plan. Here's what deceiver Jacob has decided is the best plan. When you get to Esau... Tell him that I'm coming. Tell him that you belong to me and that God has blessed me greatly and that everything that he sees in front of him, he can have because Jacob's coming and loves him and wants to bless him. What's Jacob doing? Jacob really is trying to lead from the back of the pack. Jacob's trying to put everything out in front. He's not getting on the front line and you know, facing off with Esau and making sure that they have a conversation and trying to help explain himself. He, he's not doing that. He's trying to soften the response that he would get from Esau by sending possessions, and sending people, so that when he arrives last, Esau's heart will be softened and maybe Esau will let him live. And after he sends the last of his family across the river, Jacob is left alone. It's amazing to me what happens when I find myself by myself. How clearly sometimes I can hear the voice of God when the distractions are cut off, when there's not all the voices, when there's not the busyness, I'm just left alone. Maybe there's some emotional turmoil that's creating this strife in me that says, man, I, I don't know what's coming tomorrow. When I wake up, I've got to go and confront my past. And then the confusing part of the story happens. Jacob, who's by himself on one side of the Jabbok River, all of his family and possessions are on the other side heading towards his brother. A man shows up. And a man begins to wrestle with Jacob. I mean, I don't know if it looked like Ric Flair, Roddy Roddy Piper, Hacksaw Jim Duggins. I don't know if it looked like the ultimate warrior. I have no idea. It could have looked like college wrestling, Olympic wrestling. I don't know, but it just says in Scripture that they wrestled until daybreak. That's a long time to wrestle. My brother and I would get tired after just a couple of minutes. We'd take a break. They wrestled until daybreak. And at that moment in the story... The man that he's been wrestling with, according to Scripture, realizes that he cannot defeat Jacob. That's a weird line when we come to find out who he's fighting. It says that he can't defeat him, 
And so what he does is he reaches out and he dislocates the hip of Jacob. Which in and of itself sounds amazing. I don't know what that move is in wrestling, but I never learned it. I'm afraid I would have tried it on my brother. Here, let me try this. I read it in the Bible. But he reaches out and dislocates his hip, which sounds painful. And then the man says to Jacob, let me go. And Jacob, the deceiver, the one whose track record, the one whose pattern was about how can I get a good deal? How can I see what's in this for me? He says to this man, I won't let you leave until you bless me. He's always been searching for blessing. Grasping at the heel, trying to get out to have the birthright order blessing. Stealing the birthright from Esau. Stealing the blessing from his father. Stealing the blessings of God of his father-in-law on the way out the door. And asking for blessing before he heads to confront his past. He's always been looking for the silver bullet. He's always been looking for the shortcut. I don't know if you're like that. I like to get a good deal. I walk into a store and go straight to the clearance rack. I want to feel like I'm getting a good deal. And Jacob has patterned his life in that way. How can I get what I want? He's wrestled all night long. His hip is now dislocated. The man attempts to leave, and Jacob says, I will not let you leave until you bless me. And then we come back to the passage that we already read. And so this man that Jacob's been wrestling with says, what is your name? He says, it's Jacob. It's deceiver. We talked last week about the power of name and what names mean. Jacob has to declare to this man that he's been wrestling as he has all of his life had to answer to I am a deceiver. He says to the man, my name is Jacob. And the blessing that comes is not in more possessions. The covenant of God had already been restored or reiterated previous to this in the life of Jacob in a dream. But the blessing that comes in this moment is not about more possessions and more stuff. And the man doesn't say, hey, Esau's not going to kill you when you get there, which doesn't happen, by the way. Esau hugs his neck, kisses him, says, my brother has been gone. He's back. Let's live you know, in the same place. Let's kind of figure out how to coexist and, and love one another. No. You know what the blessing was for Jacob? That the man changed his identity. The man says, your name will no longer be Jacob, it will be Israel. For you fought with God and with man, and you've won. You have fought with God and won. Think about the theological implications of that. Many scholars take that phrase to mean that Jacob was wrestling all night with God. Some of the other references later in the Old Testament and in the New Testament reference back to this, that Jacob was actually wrestling with an angel or a spiritual being of some kind. 
But what we understand is that this spiritual being, this, this God, the God that he's fighting against, that he is in covenant with, says, I am going to bless you by giving you a new name that has nothing to do with your past and everything to do with your future. Israel, in our present day, is a nation. We read about it in the news. We talked about it a little bit last week. But in this, story, in this story, Israel is a person. And so when you hear about the 12 tribes of Israel, you're not hearing about 12 tribes of a nation. You're hearing about the 12 descendants of a person. You're not hearing about a guy who was a deceiver. You're hearing about a guy who's a part of the plans of God for the future. And as I read and reread this passage in anticipation of today, there were several things that jumped out to me. And I want to just reference those very quickly before we close today. Number one, wrestling's not fake. It's just fixed. The things that I watched with my eyes when those guys were wrestling when I was growing up wasn't fake. They were hitting each other. They were kicking each other. They were throwing each other up against the ropes. I know it wasn't fake because I did those things and they hurt. They're not fake. It's just fixed. The outcome was decided before the match started. They would do certain things. They would practice certain moves. They would know that when you do this, I'm going to do this, and we're going to work towards the ending of this wrestling match. But in the end, I win or you win. It wasn't fake. It was fixed. Think about the wrestling match that Jacob had. Wrestling against God. God in his supernatural power when the day was coming, reached down and dislocated Jacob's hip. He caused it to come out of socket. It was the power of God to accomplish the purpose of God. Because what would happen is that then that would conclude the wrestling match and lead into a conversation about Jacob desiring a blessing and the man was going to leave, and Jacob said, no, I need something from you before you leave. And so God said, I'll give you a new name. I'll take away the past that you have that's about deception, and I'll make your future about my plan. Because from you and the sons that you have, from these women that have been entrusted to you, will actually come a great nation. And writers are going to tell their stories for thousands of years. Stories are going to be on the news 3,000 years from now. There's going to be a group of people in Canton, Georgia, gathering together, reading these stories. And I want them to know that you're not deceiver. You're just a guy who wanted the blessings of God. How you got it. How you tried to get it probably wasn't always right. But ultimately, you encountered me because I sought you out and I gave you a future. Jacob's story wasn't fake. It was just fixed. The second thing that I, I read that jumped out to me was that Jacob's blessing came on the other side of his battle. Jacob's blessing came on the other side of his battle. For a guy always looking for the easy way out, he couldn't get the blessing until he fought all night long. 
You ever been there? You ever just been in the middle of a fight and you just didn't have any clue when it was going to end? You've been wrestling your finances for a long time and you just don't feel like you're ever, ever, ever going to get on top. Your marriage seems to be one fight after the other and you don't know if you're even going to make it. You're fighting with your kids. You're fighting with your job or lack of job and trying to find employment and you don't know how you're going to get out. And when I read this story, for the very first time, I was reminded that Jacob's, Jacob's blessing came on the other side of his battle. And so here's my encouragement to you today. Keep fighting. Your marriage won't make it if you give up. Your money won't get any better if you give in. Your kids won't come back to you if you quit calling. Keep fighting. The blessing is on the other side of the battle because here... Here's what we read in the story of Jacob, and here's what you and I think sometimes. We want the shortcut. We want the good deal. You know what I'm reminded of here? There are no shortcuts to the blessings of God. There's no shortcuts to the blessings of God. Romans 8.28 says this. It is an often used, often quoted verse of Scripture. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, and who have been called according to His purpose. This is often quoted to try to help make sense when bad things are happening to us. And let me just say to you today, bad things are going to happen to you. Bad things happen to me. There's a lot of things that have happened in my life that I would not have chosen to go through. And I know that's the same probably for you. But the problem is, when we're in the middle of that, we want the out. We want the shortcut. We want to figure out how do I get the blessings here? How does God turn this into good? And here's what I know. I told a young man this this past week. I usually don't know what God was doing until I've already been through it. It's very rare that I'm in the middle of a circumstance. And I'm right smack dab in the middle. And I know beyond any shadow of a doubt what God's trying to accomplish in me. Very rarely does that happen. But I can't tell you the number of times I've gotten through something and I've looked back and maybe I've said, man, I don't even know how we made it. I don't even know how I got through it. But look what God did. Look how God was enough there. Look how God showed up. Look at the blessings that we have. Look at the things that God accomplished it does not mean that everything that happens to you will be good. But it's a promise and an assurance that everything that happens is under the umbrella of the covering of God. And I know that that's a, that's a difficult thing to wrestle with when we have bad things happening to us. But that under that umbrella is the goodness of God and the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God and the sovereignty of God. The power of God. Where God can look in Genesis chapter 1. That the earth is void of anything except chaos. And he can create the heavens and the earth in seven days. That God can look to the story of Job, which is often quoted to those that walk through a really dark period of time. And 
Job was never told why those things happened to him, ever. He lost his family and all of his possessions, and he had bad health issues on himself. The only thing that was spared was his own life. In the end of that story, when God responds back to Job as he's questioning why, God never tells him why. But in the end of it all, God restores to Job. I don't know why you're walking through the stuff that you're walking through right now. All I can say to you this morning, all I believed all week long for you, keep fighting. Keep wrestling. There is a blessing on the other side of this battle. And if you quit now, you'll miss it. And I don't know how close you are to the end. I mean, you might be right there. And if you just persevere for another day or another week or another month or another year, it could be that God's blessing is right on the other side. This is not a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that you're going to get rich and everything's going to be awesome. I'm telling you, though, that God's promises are true. And that right on the other side is the blessings of God. And if you quit now, you'll miss out. And I would hate for you to live with regret to say, I stopped. It was too hard. It was too difficult. I didn't trust God enough. I didn't believe that God could see me through. And so I just quit. And I have no idea what God might have done if I would have just kept fighting. God has a plan and it is for good. If maybe you're going through some stuff and it's not so good, just keep fighting. Maybe you don't love where you're at in life. Keep fighting. Keep moving. Keep going. Here's the third thing that I came across. Sometimes you think you're dealing with something earthly and you're actually dealing with something spiritual. Jacob thought he was wrestling with a man until he realized he was wrestling with God. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I realize that this context is totally different than what we're talking about here, but it is a great reminder to me that there is a spiritual battle going on. That everything that we face is not just because we live here on earth. There's a spiritual battle. That's an uncomfortable thought for some of us. But there is a spiritual battle taking place. And sometimes when you think you're dealing with something earthly, you're actually dealing with something spiritual. Here's what I love about this story, though, that gives me great hope. Sometimes God disguises himself. I don't even know I'm wrestling with God. I think I'm wrestling with a man. I think I'm wrestling with my finances. I think I'm wrestling with my job. I think I'm wrestling with my marriage. I think I'm wrestling with my kids. I think I'm wrestling with my purpose and my identity and my future and my fears. I think I'm wrestling with those things. And really, I'm just wrestling with God in disguise. Because God showed up and wrestles Jacob so that he can bless Jacob. And he can become Israel to fulfill the plans of God. Jesus said when he was on earth, he says, when I was naked, you gave me clothes. When I was hungry, you gave me food. And the people that were there said, when did we do that, Jesus? 
He says, whenever you do it to the least of these, you do it unto me. What Jesus was saying is when you interact with others on earth, you're probably interacting with me. It could be that I've disguised myself to interact with you to accomplish what I need to accomplish in you. Because if I just showed up and said, hey, I'm Jesus, you wouldn't respond authentically to me. If I just showed up and said, hey, I'm God, you wouldn't necessarily respond the way that is natural in your heart because of the sin nature that you have and the fears that you have and the uncertainty that you have. But if I just show up and say, I'm hungry and see how you respond, it actually reveals something about your heart. If I just show up when you're uncertain about what's happening tomorrow and I hear you speak authentically about those fears and then we wrestle about those things and I'm able to bless you, it actually reveals my power at work in you. Sometimes we think we're wrestling with some things that are earthly and we're actually wrestling with something that's spiritual. I was a youth pastor for about 10 years and I used to hear students say this phrase a lot. You know, I'm just struggling right now with whatever. I hear people say it still to this day, but I heard it a lot from students. I'm just struggling right now with fill in the blank, whatever their sin issue was, their uncertainty was. I'm struggling right now with whatever. And I used to say them all the time when I would see that they weren't actually struggling, that a struggle implies that you are fighting against something that you don't desire. Because what I would watch is I would watch students just give in time and time again to that thing that they were struggling with. They weren't struggling. They were giving in. They weren't struggling with or struggling against that thing. They were just kind of living in that and felt bad about it. And what I would say to you today is that if you're going to keep fighting, it means that you have to actually pull and do some work and get into it and wrestle. And it may hurt and it may not be the plan that you have and it may not be what you would have drawn up, but if you believe that God is out for good, and if you believe that God can accomplish good, then get in there and struggle with some stuff. There are no shortcuts to the blessings of God. Last week, we talked about God changing Abram's name to Abraham, saying, listen, who you were is not as important as who you are becoming, and I have a future for you. You know what the blessing for Jacob was? That the old him didn't have to be him anymore. It wasn't as much to me about his future as about getting rid of his past. That he didn't have to be a deceiver anymore. You know, Abram's was about being Abraham and being the father of the multitudes and about being something in the future and God declaring that. And yeah, that's cool about Israel. But I think more importantly for Jacob, it was about not being Jacob anymore. And I don't know what your past looks like. I don't know what you've been struggling with or not struggling with. I don't know what you're uncertain about. But here's what I would say to you today. Who you were does not have to be who you are. You can be something new. But there's no shortcut. God does the work. And then I respond to that by living in that new identity and not reverting back to who I was. And so today could be your day where you need to continue wrestling with some stuff or start wrestling with some stuff. To say, God, I'm not leaving this place until you bless me. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes.
And I'm going to ask you to do something that's probably a little uncomfortable for some of us. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, I know that I've got some stuff in my past. I've even got some stuff in my present that's actually a reflection of who I've been. And it's not God honoring. It's not God pleasing. It's about my sinful nature. It's about me being a deceiver. It's an ugly part of my past. And I've maybe wrestled with it before. I've prayed a hundred prayers before. But I've never really wrestled with God to get through it. I've never really given it completely to God. I've never trusted God with it completely. And today, I want to see victory. I want to get out of the mess. I don't want to be called by that deceiver name anymore. I don't want to be looking for shortcuts. I want to put in the work that is a relationship with God. If that's you with nobody looking around, I want you to stand right where you're at. I know that's uncomfortable. I know that may be something that you're not really wanting to do, but I'm asking you right now with the boldness of God on your life just to stand right where you're at. You'll not be the only one standing when you stand. Nobody's looking around. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed. And you're saying, listen, there's some stuff about my past that I want to get over. And so maybe I'm walking towards the future, but it's actually walking towards my past because it's just always with me. Esau's right out in front of me, and I'm afraid of how that's going to happen and what that's going to look like. But I believe that today could be the day. That today could be the day that God does the work in my heart that I so desire him to want to do. And so today I'm saying, God, I'm willing to wrestle. I'm willing to struggle. I'm willing to do the hard things to trust you with my future so that I don't have to be called by that name back there anymore. I don't have to be Jacob deceiver anymore. I'm not looking for the shortcut. I'm not looking for the stuff back there. I'm looking for you and your plans and your purpose. And I'm going to trust you. If that's you, stand up. There are others already standing. Nobody's looking around right now. I'm going to ask you just to stand right where you're at. I'm going to give you just a minute before we pray. Anybody else? You can stand right where you're at to trust God, to believe that your past is your past. It does not define you unless you let it. God, I pray right now for every person that's standing. God, I pray for these that have trusted you right now that, God, you would allow them to get past their past because they're giving it to you right now. They know that they're not the ones that have to do the ultimate work. They're going to have to do some work, but you do the ultimate work. You deliver, you save, you forgive, you accept, you redeem. God, help them today to allow you to do the work, to clean out their heart of any sinful thing that doesn't reflect you. God, help them to be willing to trust you. I'm going to ask those of you that are sitting now to look up. And if there's someone close by you, I just want you to stand and just go to where they're at. If you're comfortable doing that, we're going to pray for these folks right here. I believe there are others who didn't stand, but that's okay. These have responded in obedience today, and we're going to pray for them. God, I pray right now for the future that you have for these folks. They are becoming who you say that they are because they are trusting you. They've stood. That's, a, that's no small thing. That's a big deal. And so, God, now I pray your blessings on these folks. I pray, God, that they would get past their past and trust you with their future. You would forgive them, God, of everything that they need forgiveness of. God, I pray that you would help guide and direct them. I pray now against anything that the enemy would try to use in the next few hours or the next few days to try to tempt them to revert back to who they were. But that, God, they would trust you and believe in you and believe on you for the things that you have for them 
that God, your blessings for them are right on the other side of the battle that they're walking through right now. So God, I pray for your ultimate blessings, your goodness to be right there. God, help them to persevere, help them to walk through it, give them the strength to uphold, give them the strength to stand in the midst of all that they're facing. I pray, God, for godly people to surround them just like they're doing now. God, I pray figuratively and, God, in a real sense that those people would walk beside them as they leave this place and in the coming days and weeks, God, because this is not a one-time thing. This is a lifelong journey to be called by a new name that you have declared. I thank you, God, for what you're doing, what you have done, and what you will do in the lives of those who stood this morning, in the lives of us who sat in this place today. God, you are declaring some things about us. Let those things come to pass now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.